0: Today's scripture reading is from Daniel 3, verses 1 through 30. Please stand if you are able. If you are uh, on Zoom and you'd like to follow along, it will be on the um, overhead behind me, or you may follow along in your Bible. We're reading from the English Standard Version. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, prefects, the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and then stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, tigran, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, tragarn, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame from the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, "Did we not cast three men bound into the fire?" They answered the king. They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth was like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and the smell of fire had, and and no smell of the fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king prompted, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is God's Word.
1: What an incredible story, one of hope, courage. Larry Osborne wrote We live in a world gone haywire. Our moral fabric seems to be decaying at breakneck speed. Things that were once shamefully hidden are openly celebrated. The previously unimaginable has become commonplace. In a few short decades, our culture's response to Bible-believing Christians has gone from grudging respect to a patronizing pat on the head, to a marginalizing indifference, to outright hostility. This is a challenging culture for Christians. How are we to live out our faith in it? Daniel and his companions did. They thrived in Babylon. This morning, let them show us the way and how we should live today. Let's pray. Our Father, meet us with your truth. Use this story to become our story. Our story of faith and trust in you and living for you fully. And yet learning how to live as your testimony, as your voice in a challenging culture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we reengage the book of Daniel after our mission conference. We recall that Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar led a brutal takeover of Israel's southern kingdom, Judah. His armies destroyed the temple and took waves of captives. And then Nebuchadnezzar selected the brightest and best of these captives, indoctrinated them, and then educated them alongside similarly selected Babylonian young men so that they could be his advisors and leaders. Daniel and his three Jewish companions graduated at the top of their class. In chapter 2, we see that Daniel stepped forward and answered the king's plea to have his unsettling dream d- described and translated. After Daniel successfully translated the dream, Nebuchadnezzar promoted him to be governor of Babylon. And he praised Daniel's God as the God of gods. Now in our passage, time has passed, and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have such a high view of Daniel's God. And so he sets up a 90-foot tall golden image to be worshipped. Anyone who would not bow down to the image at the assigned time would be executed. The masses obeyed, but not Daniel's companions. Jealous rivals pointed out that the Jewish captive named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego failed to bow to the statue. When confronted by Nebuchadnezzar, they refused to bow to the image and were thrown into the fiery furnace. This morning, we are going to see reflections of our culture in the ancient culture of Babylon. And we are going to discover a model for our response as we see the three heroes of faith live in that challenging culture. So this morning, we're going to look at our cultural environment and then our faith response. You know, there are at least five cultural parallels between... Babylon in western culture of today the first is pluralism the belief that all gods all religions are equal in their value and that none of the religions give us access to absolute truth Tim Keller points out that the image represented all the gods of all the nations the beliefs and the values and the culture of Babylon And we see this in verse 14 where the king conflates the failure to honor the golden image with a dismissal of the gods. Look at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship? It could be translated by worshiping the golden image that I have set up. Babylon was made up of many cultures, we see that in the passage, that many nations, many peoples were to bow down to their gods, and therefore they had many gods, so that they could assimilate all of the cultures into one in Babylon. And so, you might be able to worship your own god, but you had to honor all the other gods. You could worship your God in private, but in public, you had to bow down to the image that represented the pantheon of gods. Though a faithful Jew believed there was only one true God and he would never worship another God. Today, pluralism is reflected in the belief that all religions are equal and no religion has exclusive truth. Every religion is a way to God because Christians teach that Christ is the only way to God. We are being marginalized and at times demonized. It makes it tempting to compromise on the exclusivity of Christ so that we might gain acceptance. If we do this, the gospel truths of grace the depths of God's love and salvation itself is nullified. In just about every realm, or other realm of life, we accept exclusivity, but not in the spiritual realm. Science moves forward only because we accept the fact that one plus one equals two, and no other number. It's exclusive. If we're at an airport and someone asks us about boarding a plane to Jerusalem, we're going to be exclusive in our answer. We won't say, just board any plane, uh, they'll all get you there. Giving the right directions, especially spiritual, is an act of love, even if the directions are exclusive. We must continue to speak the truth about Christ him as the only way to god but do it in humility and with love the second parallel is the pressure to conform conform to the cultural values of the day in an effort to unite the people under his rule nebuchadnezzar raised the golden image and demanded that everyone bow before it if they didn't they faced the ultimate cancel culture execution Verse 6. Whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Today, many individuals, companies, states have been canceled in various ways because they failed to bow down to contemporary culture. Even though they would strongly disbelieve on religious basis. Many of us live under a threat of being removed from our positions if we say the wrong things as we stand up for our beliefs. We have a model in the Jewish heroes. They accommodated themselves to the foreign culture they lived in it they thrived in it but they stood firm on the most important beliefs primarily the worship of one true god you know a third parallel is how disagreements lead to vilification and you know, we see this in nebuchadnezzar's rage when the three jewish young men refused to conform verse 19 Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Nebuchadnezzar's rage was white hot. It was so hot that the furnace was heated seven times more than usual. It was so hot that those who brought the three men to the furnace died from its heat. The king believed in pluralism. The Jewish young men believed in one God. There was a disagreement. But that disagreement led the king to so vilify the young men that he saw them as worthy of death. One of the features of our culture is how disagreements that were once seen as difference of opinions Now lead to the vilification of the character with whom one disagrees. Since many of our biblical values are in tension with those of our culture, Christians are often a target. It's easy to fall into the trap of personalizing disagreement. Have you ever taken the rejection of the gospel personally? It's easy to fall into the trap of vilifying others. Do you ever think the worst of someone who holds a view that you find destructive? We're all susceptible. If we do that, we're following the culture. We must resist because God called us to love one another, not vilify one another. A fourth cultural parallel is the disbelief in a savior. We see this in the last half of verse 15 when the king says, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Doesn't exist. Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe that God was so personally involved in the lives of his children that he would actually save them. Now, in addition to the atheists today who deny miracles altogether, there are deists who don't believe God is so personally engaged, especially to the extent that God went in sending his son to die for us. The cross is seen as a display of God's love, but not of God's saving work for sinners. And we also see this disbelief in a savior in the popularity of religions that teach salvation through good works or through their religious activities. We can't let the disbelief temper our desire to share the incredible good news that God is active in this world today. God is so concerned. God is so personally engaged with us that he sent his son to die for us. Yes, there is a God who can save us, and we must proclaim him. A fifth cultural parallel is the use of God to fulfill one's personal agenda. See, Nebuchadnezzar ebbed and flowed with uh, what he felt about the one true God, depending on whether God worked things out. So in chapter 2, he aligned himself with Daniel's God after God did him a favor and interpreted his distressful dream through Daniel. In our chapter the king has seen the worshipers of God cast into the fire furnace. Once he sees God rescues him, he says, yeah, I like that God. He once again aligns himself with God. Verse 29. Therefore I now make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there's no other God who is able to rescue in this way. See, Nebuchadnezzar aligned himself with God only after he saw God come to the rescue. See, there's a prevalent belief that Christian Smith sees in our culture. He calls it moralistic therapeutic deism. One of the features of this belief is that God is a cosmic therapist and divine butler ready to help out when needed. It's the attitude, I'll follow the religion or philosophy that works for me, you follow the one that works for you. As we're about to see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew God could save them, but they worshipped him regardless of what God would do for them. Their lives were about worshipping God for himself, not for what he could do for them wasn't about god fulfilling their personal agendas it was about them fulfilling god's personal agenda so what should our response be well while there are cultural similarities between daniel shadrach meshach and abednego where they lived and where we live let's be very clear there is no comparison to what they faced and what we face. They were captives, slaves. They were required to serve a ruthless despot who would kill like that. They were forced into a re-education camp. They were personally targeted for their faith. And disobedience meant death. What we face is nothing like that. And yet they thrived spiritually and professionally despite life-threatening persecution. And their testimony impacted the nation and kings. So we can learn from them. So what can we learn from them? Well, they didn't isolate themselves. Each of these men was integrated into the society. They accepted a name change given to Babylonian eyes, their identity. Their education was indoctrination into a heathen-like culture and into the way of wizards. But because they integrated, they held lofty positions of authority where people were able to see the work of God through them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were appointed by the king to oversee the affairs of the province of Babylon and they were later promoted to even more important roles. Their integration into Babylonian society gave them a platform for God. They were integrated into the Babylonian culture, but they never assimilated to it. Because their hearts were tied to God, the name change and the indoctrination did not change their identity, their values, or their singular commitment to God. They were in the world, but not of it. They worked for the good of the nation. You know, it would have been natural for these men to hate the country that conquered their people and made them all slaves. Yet they faithfully served their city. As Jeremiah wrote in Judah's ex- about Judah's exile in Babylon, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Serve the city and pray for it. Even Babylon? Yes, even Babylon. Say We might want regime change. We want evil punished. Leave that to God. He eventually judged Babylon. But they served the nation faithfully until that point. We need to trust God's sovereign rule and love the people were with. They were respectful rather than adversarial. They didn't see the Babylonians as enemies. They saw the opportunity they would have with them if they offered respect. Larry Osborne has notably described this dynamic. Daniel and his three friends showed respect toward everyone they came across. From their jailers to a series of wicked kings, they treated them all with profound and humble respect. It didn't matter if they were seeking to be exempted from a non-kosher menu, as in chapter 1, or firmly refusing to bow down to worship an idol, as in chapter 3. I find that their respectful attitude, words, and behavior were radically different from the anger, resentment that is so common among many of us today especially when it comes to those who are strongly opposed to our values and faith. Many people are turned off to the gospel, not because of Jesus, but because of us. They don't want to hear what we have to say because we talk at them and don't listen to them. What if we respected and listened to them first? Perhaps they would begin to respect and us and be interested in what we have to say. They lived for God. This is by far the most important lesson that we see in this chapter. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God with their lives And they worshipped him for who he is, not for what he could do do for them. After an enraged, Nebuchadnezzar promised that they would be burned alive if they didn't worship the image. We read their response. Verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Wow. That's faith. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our lives are about our God. When they trusted God to deliver them they knew they would not they would not abandon him if he chose not to save them they trusted God to deliver them to save him but if not we're not going to serve any other god their worship of God was more important to them than their own lives You know, when we have this kind of faith, we have no fear. Think about right now, take the time. Think about what bothers you the most. What are you most fearful about? Now, what difference would it make if you had the attitude of these men? I know God can rescue me. I know he loves me, but if he doesn't, I trust his greater purposes. I will love, serve, and worship him for his glory. If that's the center of our lives, it dispels fear of what anything can happen. It's a life-changing attitude based on the fact and the rest in the truth, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You know, recently I read a book entitled Live No Lies. It exposes the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it encourages us to meet each lie that we hear with hearing the voice of God through Scripture and the scripture that meets each of these lies. I'm trying to follow this advice. Now, when I am faced with trials, I hear Jesus saying to me, trust me. As I become disturbed and troubled in my spirit, I hear the words, Trust me. See, we can trust him because he walks with us through our trials just as he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselor, Did we not cast three men into the, bound into the fire? And they answered and said, True, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God. See, the three were protected from the flames of the furnace because the pre-incarnate son of God was in the furnace with them. He will be in every one of our furnaces. But ultimately, we are protected from the ultimate fire of God's wrath because Jesus walked through those flames for us. Because he paid our penalty, we don't have to. You know, these three servants said yes to God regardless of the outcome, they went untouched by the flames. Jesus said yes to God regardless of the outcome and felt the unimaginable fiery heat of divine judgment. We can trust him. He went to the cross for us. He will not abandon us now. If he died for us, we can trust him to walk through the fire of our lives just like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your divine truths. We thank you for story, the true story. May we, when we go through the fiery furnaces, trials, place ourselves in the middle of this story. May we be able to sense Jesus walking with us. And may we cling to his sacrificial love for us to realize. If he gave everything for us, he won't withhold anything that we truly need in life. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.